Welcome to Extreme Genes, brought to you by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And welcome to America's Family History Show, Extreme Genes and ExtremeGenes.com. My name is Fisher. I am your radio root sleuth on the program where we shake your family tree and watch the nuts fall out. Well, how are you after Roots Tech? If you're not familiar with what that is, Roots Tech is the world's largest family history conference, and it took place in Salt Lake City, Utah, February 27th through March 2nd. And I'll tell you what, it is a party and a reunion kind of in its own way. And we're going to talk about that coming up here in just a little bit, because there were some real highlights to it and some major announcements. And that's why coming up in about nine minutes, we're going to talk to Paul Woodbury from Legacy Tree Genealogists. He is the DNA specialist there about some really incredible new tools being announced by both Ancestry.com and MyHeritage.com. So we'll get into that coming right up. Hey, don't forget to sign up for our weekly Genie newsletter. It is absolutely free. You can do it through our website, ExtremeGenes.com, or on our Facebook page. But right now, it's time to head off to Boston to speak with the chief genealogist of the New England Historic Genealogical Society and AmericanAncestors.org. It is David Allen Lambert. Have you recovered from the conference, my friend? My voice is finally back after <laughs> doing <Yeah>. three <laughs> lectures and talking to hundreds of people, including a lot of our genies that came over for selfies during our meetup, which was lots of fun. You know, actually, we don't usually get to see these people. That's true. And I got to do some amazing interviews that we're going to be sharing on the show here in the coming weeks. Patricia Heaton from Everybody Loves Mm -hmm. Raymond. You're going to want to hear her family story. Plus, Derek Huff from Dancing with the Stars. Saru Brierly. I think he was a real highlight for me. He was the man from India who, as a five-year-old, got on a train and wound up ultimately being adopted in Australia because they couldn't figure out where he came from. And he had to find his way back home using Google Earth. You know the story. It's from the movie Lion. And uh-huh. he gave an amazing keynote speech there, and I got to spend some one-on-one time with him. So you'll get to hear that in the coming weeks here on Extreme Genes. All right, David, let's start with what happened at Roots Tech, because I think there were some real highlights for all of us. Well, I'll tell you, Steve Rockwood has it right, and the term connect belong is true when you use the app. I connected and had connections to 4,700 attendees of RootsTech through the app. It was amazing. And this is a special feature on FamilySearch.org on the mobile device. If you attended the conference, you could push this button, and it would compare the trees of all the attendees who were there and then tell you who you were related to and what the relationship is. Of course, the connections have to be right for it to be accurate. For instance, David, you Mm -hmm. and I showed up as cousins, but it was through a wrong entry on the family tree. Uh, But nonetheless, it was really a lot of fun. And then you could actually message that person and maybe even meet them. I remember last year, somebody wound up with a whole batch of photographs from another side of the family because of somebody they met using that device. It's amazing. One of the things I do at Rootstech Fish is I try to go around and see what new companies are out there. And sometimes they're in the back or way in the corner, but sometimes they're really amazing. This one is called TheMemories.com. And what they do is they piece together the life story of a loved one that may have just died or may have died 20 years ago. This life story allows you to put a photo gallery, guest book. There are no ads. It's kind of like what Forever does with photographs. But this is kind of taking your memories. But it's like another way of having an obituary out there that won't disappear. You know, on ExtremeGenes.com, I'm always finding great news stories. And the Boston Globe had an article recently that you put on there in regard to DNA kits. Well, everybody's tried a DNA kit, but have you had need for a support group? 
now they connect you with support groups because sometimes the results aren't exactly what you expect them to be. Yeah, that's true. And we've talked about this many times on the show before that we're seeing more and more people getting unexpected results. And it's life altering in many cases. And so this is why these support groups have come around, some with as many as 5,000 people on there who got an unexpected DNA result, all helping each other. Well, I'll tell you, speaking of unexpected DNA results, don't throw away those old letters that your mom and dad sent to each other if you don't have their DNA, because companies like MyHeritage are now able to take and get DNA from licked stamps and licked envelopes. Now, this isn't something new. Obviously, we know that Living DNA has recently done it, and this costs around four to $600. And it's something that might be growing in the industry, especially for people who collect autographs. You might end up with an envelope of someone like Abraham Lincoln, and maybe you can get his DNA from it. Wouldn't that be crazy? (laughs) That would be so much fun. I don't think MyHeritage is quite there yet, but they're very close. And I know, for instance, that uh, Gilad Jafet, who is the head of MyHeritage, he collects autographs. So you might see some famous DNA up on MyHeritage sometime soon as a result of his collection. And I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh-oh. The investigation <laughs> begins. <laughs> and, there's, and there's a great story, by the way, about this on ExtremeGenes.com. On ExtremeGenes.com, you'll also find a great story about someone who bought a VHS on eBay. You might think it's not really that important, but if you're 86 years old and all these memories are locked up in VHS tapes, this is a way to relive your family memories. The nice story about this the person that sold them now wants to digitize all this man's VHS tapes so he can have them digitally forever. Well, you know, bloggers, I think, like to preserve stories, too. And if you're not a member of the tribe, JuniorBloggersTribe.com is my blogger spotlight this week because it goes out to all those great bloggers in the genealogical blogger universe that are part of this tribe that allow people to share ideas, share their blog, and interact with each other. So if you're not aware of JuniorBloggersTribe.com, check it out. All right, David. Thanks so much. Great talking to you. And coming up next, we're going to talk to my good friend Paul Woodbury from Legacy Tree Genealogists about the amazing new tools that have been announced at RootsTech by Ancestry.com and MyHeritage. How is it going to affect your efforts? Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Scott. Is your head exploding from uh, all these changes and investigating them? Yeah, I've got some homework to do. I've got some catching up to do. It's been fascinating to see some of the new tools and some of the discoveries that they are enabling, even within these first few days since release. Yeah, you know, 30 minutes, I think, after Ancestry announced ThruLines as a beta tool, I went in and discovered a fourth cousin match to my third great-grandmother that I had never found before, no connection. And what was fascinating to me was, is she only had on her tree back to her grandparents. And since I've got a lot of descendants on my tree, somehow this went in and connected back to her grandparents, even to her mother, and figured this line out. So if she finds me through the same method, she'll go from her grandparents back three more generations to our common third great-grandmother, and then that line and her third great-grandfather's line will go back to the late 1500s. That'll be quite a find for her. Yeah, and that's just one example of many that I've heard of the types of discoveries that are already being made. 
Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Now, the negative buzz I was hearing at Roots Tech surrounding this is that people were kind of discouraged because there are adoptive names that are on people's trees, and they're connecting into that, and DNA matches are suddenly finding out, oh, well, you're related to this person where it's actually an adoptive parent, whether it's a recent parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent or something along those lines. Are you hearing that, too? I have been hearing that as well, but I don't think that that's much different than some of the challenges that we were running into before with some of these hint-generating technologies that even if you get a hint on how you might be related to someone, it's important that you take the process to verify and to evaluate if that potential clue is valid or if it's not correct. Yeah, and consider also, too, the possibility that you have the wrong ancestor there. And there are plenty of those and probably plenty more of those than there are adoptive parents. Yes, yes. All right. And, and now Ancestry had a second thing that came out that's, uh, that you have to opt in for right now, and it's called My Tree Tags. And with My Tree Tag, you can actually put the little notes basically with the page of your ancestor and put brick wall or DNA confirmed, something along these lines. And I think that's really useful, and I'm sure they're going to increase the number of options you have. You can even make a custom tag, which I really like as well. Yeah, that will be really helpful for using pedigree charts as a tool for research and kind of organizing your research rather than uh, the final repository of where you put everything after you've gone through all of those, those research processes. And so I think it can be really useful to have those notes, those tags available to help you keep track of where you are on the different lines that you're working on. Because I don't know, I have you know, 15 different lines that I'm working on and at any given time, and it's, it's hard to keep track of them all. So I hope that that will be helpful in that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then there's this other thing that isn't out quite yet, and I don't remember the name of it, but basically there are 24 different categories you're going to be able to assign your people to. So in the past, where you maybe just put a star next to the name of an ancestor, you can now basically categorize which branch of the family a DNA match falls into. Yeah, and so that is called the new and improved DNA matches. And actually, you can gain access to it by logging into your Ancestry account, clicking on Extras, and selecting the Ancestry Lab. And then you can enable that new and improved DNA matches. It is currently in beta, but then you can start playing around with some of those labels. What's nice about that is that you can use it to filter relationships between people. You can assign people to groups that you may be researching based on their relationships to each other. And this is primarily for your DNA match list at Ancestry. It's similar to the DNA match labeling add-in that was available through Chrome that Blaine Bettinger created a little while ago, but has a few more categories available. It has more colors that you can add to the different matches, and it's really helpful for helping you to visually see how people are related to each other and begin sorting people into clusters in your DNA match list. Well, imagine how helpful that would be just to divide them among your four grandparents or your eight great-grandparents. I mean, that would be Absolutely. monstrously beneficial. Yeah, because there's 24 categories, there, there are eight colors, and there's 
three different hues of each color. And so what I've started doing is I've started assigning people to each of my great-great-grandparents. And you can also assign people to multiple categories. So I've assigned my mother to all 16 of those relatives that are from that side of her family tree. That's incredibly useful. Now let's switch over to my heritage because they've come out with some things somewhat similar but definitely different. The theory of family relativity appears very similar in many ways to the through lines visual for DNA matches. Would you agree? Um, yeah, I would. It's very similar, a very similar idea in that you attach your family tree, other matches in your match list also attach their family trees. But something that is really exciting about the theory of family relativity is that it's not just limited to those two family trees. It can jump between family trees, between record sets. I've seen examples in linking up to five record sets where it starts with your family tree, jumps to another public member family tree, jumps to the 1860 U.S. Census, jumps to another family tree, uh, and then finally gets to the short stubby tree of your match that maybe only includes their, maybe their parents and their grandparents. And even though they've only included that very little amount of information, it's still able to make that connection. That being said, as with through lines, uh, the theory of family relativity, I think they, they named that nicely because it is something that we need to explore, that we need to, before completely accepting and uh, determining if this theory applies to our family, we need to explore and make sure that the connections that they've drawn are accurate. Yeah, that's right, because you can pick up on adoptive parents and just incorrect information. Absolutely. With that, I think that it's important that we realize that a clue is a clue. And although, yes, we, we have to consider the circumstances and the, the nature of compiled records that we're often relying on in these technologies, we have to be aware of the, the elements and the characteristics of those sources that it can be inaccurate. That information is valuable information, and it's not something that we should throw out the door entirely right out of the bat, but that is something that we should consider as evidence and treat it as evidence in conjunction with uh, all the other things that we're considering and uh, evaluating, analyzing. Exactly. All right. And then the other big thing that they're doing at MyHeritage, and I love this. I played with it just yesterday. Uh, it's called Auto Clusters. And it, it basically takes all your matches and shows you visually how they all connect one with another, one to you, shared matches, this type of thing. And then you can go through and say, look at this. I, I didn't realize these people tied in with us. And from there, you can draw some conclusions as well as to which particular ancestor you all share. And I got a few new leads as to people who could help me potentially break a brick wall as a result of auto clusters. Yeah, auto clusters is really exciting new development for 
my heritage DNA. And the auto-clustering tool that they're providing is in partnership with E.J. Bloom from the Netherlands. He is the creator of Genetic Affairs. So you can get similar graphs of the data that you get from the MyHeritage auto-cluster um, at the other companies by looking at Genetic Affairs. And what's really exciting about these graphs is it takes genetic networks from the back room where for a long time we've been doing genetic networks, but it's been really difficult. It requires very specific software to be able to download and then change the headings on the data and then upload it somewhere else and then do a network graph and then take that data and wow. put it elsewhere. It's just who's, a, it's a really complicated yes. process. and who's going to do and it? So, you know, <laughs> this, this idea of genetic affairs and the DNA clustering tool available through MyHeritage, which makes that tool available at MyHeritage, is fantastic because it takes genetic networks, which are extremely helpful and valuable for our research and brings them into the limelight and makes it much more simple, uh, straightforward, and intuitive to use. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, Paul. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, these are, uh, these are exciting times for us. Anybody who's Absolutely. looking into DNA and trying to find the matches and, and the potential of breaking brick walls. And I'm really looking forward to hearing of more and more listeners doing that through using these tools. So thanks so much, as always, Paul, for coming on. You're a genius. And uh, it was great seeing you at Roots Tech. And we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Fish. That's Paul Woodbury from Legacy Tree Genealogists. And coming up next, we're going to talk to Dan Debenham. He is the host of Relative Race. It starts again this weekend. And uh, everybody's getting revved up for it again. Another season of Relative Race is coming to BYU TV. And, and look who's here. It's my friend, the host of the show. It's Dan Debenham. Hey, did you like my, when you said we're getting revved up, did you hear no, my I engine? Picked, I picked I right up on it. That was, that was frightening. Actually, That's I was like a motorcycle. I was looking around, yeah, wondering yeah. who was coming in the studio there with you what. Go. You know, there so. you have it. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing, it's Fish? Great. Good to see you again. And uh, here comes, what, season five already? Season five. It seems like we just started talking about this whole concept last year, and yet it's been uh, <laughs> four years, and now we're doing you know two seasons per year, per calendar year. Yes. Season five airs this weekend, Sunday night, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Pacific. And season six which we are casting for right now, will air next fall. So, wow, we're at it. Yes, at you it. are at it. And it's exciting. And I was thinking about just last year and how everybody was so into it. You actually had to eliminate somebody early for Ooh, some drama. I get asked about that all the time. I bet you do. All the time. And I your lips are sealed. I know yeah. that's true. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Blue team, we, we wished them well as, <laughs> as they had to exit a little early and, uh, but we've got four new teams that are phenomenal for season really? five. Team Blue this coming season are uh, Demetrius and Shanta Flowers. They actually met in the Marine Corps. He is a special agent for Homeland Security. Ooh. She is a fitness guru, although he's got guns. And I'm not talking guns like Marine <laughs> or he is built, man. And they are looking for Demetrius's father. 
and uh, a really beautiful story there. Uh, and then Team Black, we have twin, identical twin sisters. Although since one has dyed her hair, it's easy to distinguish the two. That's good, probably, uh, though, yes. isn't it? I mean, for the sake of the show and trying uh, to follow who's who. Yeah, Team yeah. Black, Kristen Did you and, demand uh, that of them, by the way? Did no, no, no. That's the way they, they were when they submitted. Okay. And right. uh, they're also looking for their father. They're from Florida. And then Team Green are Marcus Taylor and Keith Breedlove. They were separated at birth, adopted by two different families, and then they reconnected a few years ago. They found each other DNA? In, in L.A. You know, you know that's a great question. I'm not sure if it was through DNA that they found each other. I know that we use DNA for all of our research. And they are looking for Marcus's father. And what's really interesting is Marcus is a professional break dancer. He's a street dancer really? in L.A. He's a phenomenal dancer, and you get to see that on the show. But he is looking for his father, and I can tell you that there is an enormous twist that happens in this show very early on, and I will say that it does have to do with Team Green. And then we have Team Red, and they are adopted sisters. So they they, they don't share blood, but wow. they were adopted by a nun, now I'm serious. Really? They were adopted by a nun who left who left the covenant to adopt these two girls and they are so they're adopted sisters. Um, one knows her has met her biological mother but doesn't know her biological father and the other sister does not know her biological mother or her biological father and that's wow. team red. Uh, it is a really great show. It's a really well, yeah. great show. Well, for and anybody who's into the research and, and putting the puzzle together, yes. you know, I mean, I talk to people every day for a little advice about this or some thoughts on that problem. And I think half of the fun is putting the puzzle together. But the overwhelming emotion of it all, yep. when you actually can pull off something, especially for people who are that big hole in their lives and they've had it for so long, yeah. it, it's really overwhelming. A lot of times I'm just sitting there with a cleaner and hey, Hey, I'm a manly man. I don't cry. Yeah. I don't cry for TV shows. You, you will when you watch but, this show. Yeah. <laughs> you, do. You, know, you know what, Scott? In, in case some of your listeners don't know the concept of the show, let me. Can, do you mind? Yeah, if I no, just, I think you're right. Real quickly. There are plenty um, who haven't seen the show before. Yeah. It's on BYU TV, which is a nationwide network. It gets yeah. into what, like 75 million households? Yeah, to, I think about 80 million now. Really? Uh, about okay. 80 million households. And uh, or you can watch them if you have Amazon Prime or Hulu or any of those, uh, or you can just always watch online at relativerace.com. But the concept of the show is is really wonderful. We cast four teams, and traditionally they were married couples, but now it can be a father and a son, or a mother daughter, or siblings. And then we take those four teams, we fly them out to an undisclosed location, we take away all of their tethers to technology, give them old-fashioned flip phones and paper maps, yep. identical cars, and then text them with clues that they follow to reach a different city each day of the race. There are 10 days of racing. There are 10 episodes. As they reach that city, they then follow the clues as they overcome challenges to knock on a door. And behind that door is a relative that they never knew they had and they have never met before. And they race all day long. If you're the last one to find your relative every day, you receive a strike. 
three strikes and you're off the show. Yeah. If you make it all the way to day 10 and then win day 10, you also win $50,000. So it's called relative race. And as we say, the only thing these teams know is when they knock on the door and that door swings open on the other side is family. Somebody they're related to. Somebody they're related to. More often than not, it's a brother or a sister, an uncle or an aunt, a mother or a father. And it is so strong. It's so real. It is so wonderful. I don't know how else to describe it. And I love the fact, you guys, you don't mess with the show. This is a real reality show. Yeah, we don't tell them what to say, how to say it, when to say it. We have 40 different cameras rolling at all times, and we are capturing the moment in the moment. And when they knock on that door, the door swings open, and they ask the obvious question, which is, are you our relative? The answer is yes. And then the next follow-up is, well, who are you related to? Which one of the two on the team, right? Which one of the two on the team are you related to? And then they pause and look at somebody. In your case, let's use you. They would look at you and very often say something like, Scott, I'm your brother. And, you know, it's just just really takes people and it's real and the tears are real and the emotions are real. And it's just a wonderful, amazing experience. It's an amazing ride. Well, you know, there are not a lot of television shows that can really withstand the idea of appointment watching anymore. That's a good point. This one can. Yeah. And it's on Sunday nights. Sunday nights nationwide. Yep. Nine o'clock Eastern, six o'clock Pacific. You know where you are in between. Sorry we skip you so much. But uh, (laughs) Mountain and Central. Mountain and Central. You know who you are. And it is so much fun to watch. Now, I'm wondering about the cars, Dan. Yes. Last season, we saw Joe and Jerrica had a mishap with one of the cars. Oh, my goodness. They were right. They were. They literally had a big, huge truck that ran them off the road. Yeah. They they could have rolled very easily. It was scary. That was the scariest thing that that has happened so far. Has there been damage to these cars you've had to fix? Um, There has been damage. In fact, I will (laughs) tell you, you'll see a oops moment. Oh. Not an oops on the production company. No, no. And I will tell you that it's actually funny because absolutely nobody got harmed in any way, shape, or form. It's not funny for me because we own the cars, but, but you will see a moment that you're just going... Did they just do that to that car? It's just, it's not funny, but it is funny. Well, it's even less funny for your insurance company, I'm sure. Oh, you can't believe what the insurance is for this show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's absolutely true. He's Dan Debenham. He is the host of Relative Race on BYU TV. Season five is underway this weekend with the first episode. And you can catch it Sunday nights uh, at nine o'clock Eastern, six o'clock Pacific. Thanks so much for dropping by, Dan. It is great to be here, as always. And coming up next, Next, it is time to talk preservation with our good friend Tom Perry from TMCPlace.com on the road. And uh, Tom, this is really interesting. We've been talking off air about all the film you've been getting in. And you would think at this point in time, you wouldn't be getting so much film that so many people will have already digitized their materials. That is absolutely correct. I would have thought it would started to go down because there's so many people that have come in and had it transferred. But people are living longer now. And so grandma and grandpa are living into almost their 90s and sometimes even 100s. And so you don't get the opportunity to go through their attics and their basements and find all these wonderful treasures that have been laying there just waiting for one day to be released. So let me ask you this. What kind of films are you getting? Because there's quite a history back there. Are you still seeing some 16 millimeters come in? 
Oh, absolutely. In fact, at Roots Tech, we had somebody bring us some 16-millimeter film. The majority of the film they had was 8-millimeter, but somehow they ended up with a piece of 16, which a lot of people don't realize that 8 and Super 8 actually grew out of 16-millimeter as taking something that's more theatrical and making it affordable that mom and pa could use. Yeah, that's interesting because I was looking at some of the history of this stuff as we're talking about it, and it says 16-millimeter film was economical, and it started around 1923 from Eastman Kodak. Now, get this, Tom. Eastman Kodak released the first 16-millimeter outfit in 1923, and it consisted of a camera and a splicer and a tripod and a screen and a projector, all for a mere $335 in 1923. <laughs> that, wow. That was a chunk I of money. Did, that is crazy. I'm going to go get my DeLorean when we're done recording. I'm going to go back to 23 and buy a couple dozen of those machines and bring them back to here, and I can probably sell them for about three grand a piece. Yes, yes. RCA Victor introduced a 16-millimeter sound movie projector in 1932, and developed an optical sound on film 16 millimeter camera that was released in 1935. Now, interestingly, you kind of mentioned here that this actually led to 8 millimeter film. That came out around 1935 as well. So that was for home use. So a lot of photographers now are becoming movie photographers. And that was the thing, 8 millimeter film, until 1965 when Super 8 came on. What's the difference between Super 8 and 8? Okay, Super 8 goes through the camera faster, so you're getting more images. So it's like today is the difference between standard definition, high definition, 4K. The faster the film is going through the camera, the more frames you're getting per second or like dots per inch on a photo, so you're getting more information. So Super 8 going through faster. So if you look at it, the holes are smaller and closer together in the Super 8 film Whereas in a regular 8 film, they're kind of more square and they're farther apart. So that's how you tell the difference. Now, you know, the old movies that go back to, say, World War One, and we see everybody's walking really fast and everything's moving really fast. What was that kind of film? That would have either been 16 millimeter or 8 millimeter. And the reason people are walking fast is because in the old days, they didn't have the battery technology we had. And a lot of the old cameras were wind up. You'd crank them up, wind them up. And as things got weaker, as the batteries got weaker, or the winder got less and less power behind it, it started sending less and less film through the camera. So when you take that film and project it at a normal speed, it's making everything go faster. So slower through the camera, faster through the projector. Wow, that's fascinating stuff. Well, that's good. You know, get a little historical overview of what kind of film people may have sitting up in their attic and, and what time period we're talking about. Let's talk about the audio, because I know you still get a lot of audio coming in. In fact, I gave you a bunch of stuff recently myself to get digitized, old cassettes. But you talk about these wire recordings that come in periodically. And having seen one, never even having owned one, I'm just amazed by them because they're not flat. You would think if anything had to record, you think of tape from a cassette or reel-to-reel, and you think these flat parts of the tape have to go against the recording head or the playback head. But with a wire, it's truly round, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. Like a Roots Tech last year when we made that recording right in the Extreme Jeans booth, had some of our friends singing and having a good time on the wire recording with Alex. It is actually, like you said, it's round. 
So you kind of have to get out of your brain, use a videotape, an audio tape that's flat, it's a recording head, it has to go flat across it. This thing has kind of these pulley type things, and the wire physically is going up and down, just like it's on a shock absorber, as it unwinds around the reel. It's pretty much like you would imagine a fishing line being, where you have a fishing line around your lure, and then it goes back to your spinner, and as you turn it, the wire goes back and forth. This thing is the exact same concept. And so there's a device which you would call the recording or the playback head, but it's not flat like a typical audio cassette would be. It reads it kind of like a vinyl record is. Like a vinyl record, if you watch the old Victrolas, they kind of go up and down, the needle's going up and down. So it's not recording off something flat either. There's grooves that are actually cut into the record that are set up by how long the record's going to be by how far the grooves are apart. So you can make a record that's five minutes. You can make a record that's 30 minutes that's on the same size of a record by having different size grooves. And that wire is pretty much the same thing. It's on the steel wire, which was basically 19 years after Edison first put some tinfoil on the cylinder and recorded Mary Had a Little Lamb. Now, who invented this wire stuff? This wire stuff was actually invented in 1898 by Vladimir Polson. And he called it the telegraph machine. And he recorded magnetically on steel wire. And so then it was shown at the big fairs, and it spread throughout the world. And that's where all this wire came from. And so many people had these wire recordings, and so many have been thrown out. People are finding them in Grandpa's closet, or we talked about at the top of this segment. So we have people that listen to extreme genes across the country that are sending us this stuff. People that are at one of our local stores bring it in. And people are even finding old recording machines or wire recordings that they had no idea what this machine was. They bring it in or send us a photo of it and go, oh, you have a wire recorder there, and it's like Christmas all over. Now, you've been doing this transfer of audio and video forever. So let me ask you this. How far back is the earliest wire recording that you have ever digitized? Okay, we believe the oldest one was for the early 1900s. Because not being able to say what Teddy Roosevelt actually sounded like, we had somebody that brought some in that was listening to it, and they said that it was Teddy Roosevelt. Somehow they knew what his voice sounded like. So we're assuming from that, if that was correct, we've had him from the early 1900s because that's when he was president. That's insane. (laughs) And they might have known, by the way, not from the voice, but by the speech that he was giving, the content of the speech that would kind of reveal his identity. That is absolutely incredible stuff, Tom. Thanks so much. I mean, I think this is good because a lot of people mistake these wire recordings for old fishing line, and they throw it out, and and they're losing some incredible treasures. But uh, great stuff, as always, and we'll talk to you again next week. My pleasure. That was amazing stuff. Thanks so much for joining us this week. It's great to be back from Roots Tech. So much material from the big conference still to come in the weeks ahead. Don't forget to sign up for our weekly Genie newsletter through ExtremeGenes.com or on our Facebook page. Talk to you next week. And remember, as far as everyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. This has been Extreme Genes. Share your family story by going to FamilySearch.org.